The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Acts chapter 6, in fact, it's uh, the next couple of chapters are about a very uh, special, unique young man named Stephen. We probably have a few tonight whose name is Stephen. This is your namesake in the Bible. You might have, and many of you were probably named after this biblical name, Stephen. Important questions. I'm going to ask you this question before we get started into the story. What is God's purpose for my life now that I'm a believer? I want you to know that God has a calling on your life, every single one of you. You're not here just to help support me and my ministry or the other pastors or staff. But in many ways, what God is doing now, it's a corporate anointing. It is a corporate blessing. As we do at the end of each of our services now, we do a corporate, you know, ironic blessing. And we ask you to lift your hands and for you to pray as we sing, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. Because you are, we are the priesthood, and we believe in the priesthood of all believers. And God has a cult. There's a reason why you were chosen and I was chosen to live at this very moment in history. Jim Elliott was a missionary to the Alka Indians, and he once wrote in his journal, I seek not a long life but a full one, like you, Lord Jesus. And I love that quote because I was in junior high school. I was uh, just newly saved, going to church. I had you know, gotten sick. I don't remember what I had exactly, but my mom bought me a copy of the book Through Gates of Splendor. The story of this young man named Jim Elliott, who along with a bunch of other young people flew down to bring the gospel to a group of Indians that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ before. And God used that young man who later gave his life bringing the gospel to those Alka Indians. In fact, those Alka Indians took Jim Elliott's life when he was a young man, not unlike Stephen, who is the first martyr of the church when he was a young man. And yet Jim Elliott's life affected me because it was from reading the story of him wanting to go in these little planes and going out to the bush and talking to people that had never heard about the gospel. That was the first time that God put a hook into my heart, a seed into my heart that I said, Lord, when I grow up somehow, some way, I want to serve you. In fact, I really originally, I didn't want to be a pastor of a church. I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to fly planes. I wanted to go to some distant land and talk to people that had never heard about Jesus before because Jim Elliott's story and his testimony touched me so deeply. Now, there are two words for crown in the New Testament. There is the Greek word diadema, which means a royal crown, and it gives us our English word diadem. Did you know the diadem in English comes literally from the Greek word diadema, and that means crown. But there is another Greek word for crown, and that second word is stephanos. It is where we get our English name Stephen, and it doesn't mean a diadem, it means a victor's 
crown, the crown of victory. And that's where the name Stephen comes from. It means victorious. Now, I want to say that you can inherit a crown with a diadem in it, but you cannot inherit a Stephanos. A Stephanos crown, you have to earn it with your life and with your character. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10 says, Be faithful even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So let's look at this story in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now it came to pass, there came in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and they said, look, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business that we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So I want to just say this. Here, here was a problem in the early church. The early church is now experiencing growing pains. They, they grew on the first day, 3,000 Jewish people became believers. A few days later, Peter and John healed the lame man at the eastern beautiful gate. He starts walking and leaping and praising God, and another 2,000 are added. Now all of a sudden, instead of handfuls of believers and followers of Jesus, you have 5,000 believers who now need to grow. They need to be discipled. I mean, and you only had 12 leaders. And I want to just say 12 men, even though they're gifted and anointed, cannot take care of a group of 5,000 people. There's just way too many needs. Now, it says here that during this time, you know, they were selling all their lands and they were, people were giving their money and, and kind of pooling everything together and they're taking care of each other. But now it says that as they would take care of the needs and provide for everybody in this communal lifestyle in the early church, that the, the Jewish people and then the Grecian people are, the Grecians are saying, we're not being treated fairly. The Hebrews are being better treated. They're giving more food to them. They're giving more clothing to them. And we're being treated like second-class citizens. Now, what's going on here? I want you to know this. When it says Grecians, it doesn't mean that they were Greeks. The, the Grecians are also Jewish. So the whole group we're talking about here were Jews. But there were some Jews who you know, kept the Jewish culture and spoke the Jewish language and maybe were more traditional in their upbringing. There were many other Jews who under the Roman Empire said, hey, we need to, you know, catch up to modern times. So they spoke Greek most of the time. Sometimes they wouldn't even teach their children how to speak Hebrew, maybe just a little bit for religious reasons. They gave their children Greek names. They ate Greek food. They dressed in Greek culture. They wanted to fit into the Greek world because Rome, though Rome had conquered Greece, Rome did not necessarily have its own culture. Rome, after they conquered Greece, they just borrowed Greek culture and put it into their Roman Empire. So they're all Jews, 
But there are some that are feeling like we're being neglected, we're being treated differently just because we don't speak Hebrew or dress in a Hebrew way like the others. So there was a tension, there was a problem, and with all of this growth, they're wondering what they can do about it. And the apostles are now, with all of these quarrels and people are debating and they're saying, this isn't fair and you didn't give me as much as you gave him. <laughs> they're lining up all day and you can imagine with 5,000 people and these 12 apostles doing that, the apostles realize, hey, we're not spending time in prayer like we were originally, being able to be in the upper room and wait upon the Lord all day, then the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, or being able to go freely, like Peter and John, into the temple at the hour of prayer, a miracle happens, and then they can preach there. We're having to spend all day, talk little by little to the practical and daily needs of the people. And they, so it's not that that's a bad thing, it's just that the apostles needed to be spending their time in prayer, waiting on the Lord, ministering the word of God, sharing this brand new gospel that Yeshua of Nazareth is not only the Messiah, he's alive, he is risen, you can have a personal relationship with him, and they should continue to preach the gospel. So it's not that serving or waiting on tables is menial, because every ministry is important. But the apostles were doing jobs, listen, that others could do just as well. So the idea is that we have to prioritize. So there was a problem, but I want to say this. Problems provide opportunities. And right now, you know, everything has been shaken and stirred in our world right now. And, and there's a lot of divisions. I know that there are divisions within homes. Uh, there are divisions within companies, within businesses, over everything that you can imagine. There's lots of, and there's a lot of stress involved in all of that. How do we solve these problems? How do we keep our family unit united? Uh, you know, even husband and wives, how to interpret the information and the politics and the economics and the stress. And if you have children or school, and then you've got a business and you're worried about everything that is going on. Problems give us opportunities to exercise our faith. Now listen, not only our faith in God, but our faith in one another. When problems arise, and we've got a mountain of problems that are facing us right now, it is healthy for us to take a step back as a man of God, as a woman of God, and say, okay, Lord, I need to prioritize what is important, what's more important, and what's less important. What is the most important to you? Because the, the reality is we can find ourselves uh, responding to the various pressures and demands, and you're on your phone, and you're answering every you know, text, and you're looking at every article, and you're just getting more worked up all the time. And it's not really producing anything that is healthy for you or for your family or for your marriage or for your children or for your business or for your own peace of mind. So this is an opportunity for us to, you know, literally look at our priorities and say, God, what do you have in mind? What are you saying to me? What do you want me to do in this situation? And that's what the apostles did. So again, beginning in verse four, it says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
I want to say this. I don't care what's going on in your life. Do not put your personal time daily in the word and prayer somewhere at the end of the day or at the end of your list. It has to be at the beginning of your list. Can I hear an amen on that? Do you hear me? How important it is. I personally believe, I don't care how long it is, but it's got to be at the beginning of your day. You set the date, Lord, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I need you, you and me today. Read even a little bit of scripture and put something in your brain and into your mind and into your heart that you can chew on so that you have faith and confidence. And then may I also say, I think it's a very healthy practice at the end of the day, instead of worrying yourself until you fall asleep, to end every day and say, Lord, I give you every problem that happened today, every situation I don't know what to do with. I'm going to sleep while you in heaven work on it. When I wake up, you tell me what to do. So we've got to begin and end every day with the Lord and come with our priorities. They realize, look, for the, these, these 12 apostles, they need to spend time in the word of God and in prayer. And there are many other people that we can now raise up to help. I want to just say this. Sometimes in the midst of crisis and chaos, we end up doing a lot of things that we don't need to do. And, to, and it fills up our time and it drains us of our strength and energy because we feel like we're wasting our time or spinning our wheels. And may I say, you are. <laughs> there are others who can do this, others who can handle this. You can ask for help. You can just say, look, what we're doing is stressing us out and it's not working very well. We need to talk. We need to have a family plan and we need to reprioritize what we're doing. That's what the early church did and it bore tremendous fruit. Now look with me in verses four through seven, because the love of God flows through those who are full of the Holy Spirit. So I'm gonna go again back to verse four. It says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. And then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So the love of God was flowing now through those they chose men who were filled with the Holy Spirit. So number one, those full of the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit? Uh, the word filled comes from the filling of a, the Greek word comes from the air, the wind that fills a sail. When you go sailing, you don't have a motor, you don't have an engine, your being able to be propelled across the Atlantic or the Pacific is the wind and is the channels of wind that go through and across the oceans. And you feel when the sail is full of that wind, it can pull tons of weight with great power, with great speed. It can take you from here to Hawaii. How many of you want to go to Hawaii? Let's go to Hawaii. <laughs> then we need wind. 
and you need a sail that is full. He fills your sails. He guides you through life with the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it should feel like. It's not that you're, if you're in a sailboat and you're over the edge doing this, you're in trouble. You wanna pray for wind, you wanna get your sail ready, and then you wanna point it in the right direction, and you wanna just capture the wind that God provides across all the seven seas. And you can go wherever you want to in the world, from ancient times until today, by capturing that invisible power of the wind. So we can be led and guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit. How would you like every morning, you just put up your sail and you catch the wind and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you through the day and through the week, amen? Amen. Full of the Holy Spirit. So they chose those that were full of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, those who were full of wisdom. You know, with all these challenging times, I'm constantly, my friends, other ministries, pastors, people that I know, are asking me, Pastor Ray, what can we pray for you for? And if you will ask my friends, almost always the very first thing I mention is, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to know What is important? What's the priority? Lord, how do you want us to live? How do you want me to lead the church? How do you want me to encourage? How do you, you know, Lord, what do I do with all of this that's going on? I need wisdom. Can you feel me on that? It's not just doing stuff. We can all do stuff and fill up our time. But I'll tell you what, uh, when, you know, there's a proverb that says, uh, when you have an ax and you're trying to cut the lumber, And if you're not wise, you'll just keep, you know, hatcheting away and the blade gets duller and duller and duller, which means you have to work harder and harder and harder. Wisdom says, stop wearing yourself out, take a few minutes, sharpen the blade, and then when you put it to the wood, it goes 10 times as fast. Can I hear an amen on that? That is wisdom. There are many people that are just saying, well, I gotta try harder. I just gotta put my shoulder into it. I just gotta make it work. And they're, they're, they've got a dull blade. What does sharpening the blade mean? It means, Lord, I need wisdom. And I'll tell you what, when you begin, God gives you divine downloads and he gives you divine wisdom, you can get through so much, so fast, And you go, wow, thank you, Lord. You gave me wisdom to navigate. I've got time to spare. I'm going to enjoy a steak tonight. (laughs) Those who are full of the Holy Spirit, the wind filling your sails, those who are full of wisdom. So they suggested an alternative. They said they chose seven qualified men. And notice the apostles were not afraid to share their authority and ministry with others. Can I say in these days and in these times, rather than working longer hours and doing more and putting more effort into it, if we use wisdom and wisdom from God, it means there are probably things in your daily list and schedule that you could let others do. Empower others. Ask others to come alongside of you and help you. And and just say, hey, 
I think you're, you would be good at this. I'm giving it to you. Run with it. And let's talk about it a week from now and see how it goes. I love that the apostles were not afraid to share their authority or their ministry with others who are full of the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And then thirdly, those who are faithful. They chose seven men who are faithful. These seven men are called deacons because the Greek word uh, diakonia was used in Acts chapter six, verse one. It's the last word translated. We need guys that can you know, distribute, which means minister. It means serve. And the Greek word is diakonio. And, and it's where we get our English word deacon. Everybody say deacon. deacon. You've heard of the deacons in the church. The deacons are the servants and those who serve. They chose seven men who were deacons. They were servants and God loves servants. Uh, and I love this scripture, Zechariah chapter four, verse 10. Zechariah four ten. In fact, can you see it? Is it up there? Not yet. Zechariah 4.10. Is it in there? Going once, going twice. There it is. Can you see it? Read it out loud with me. For who has despised the day of small things? Here's what I want to say to all of you right now. As servants and as ministers of the Lord, I'm telling you that you're all gifted. You're all anointed. You're all needed right now for what God wants to do. It's not a top-down thing and we got all these people that are leading from up the top or whatever. This is a horizontal, it's, it's like we need every man, every woman, every boy and every girl to love one another. Everybody's got a role. Everybody's got a place. Nobody is more important than the other. There's priorities, yes, but when we fit into that, and here's what I want to encourage you. God has a divine calling on your life. Do not be afraid to start something very, very, very small. This is a divine, supernatural principle that even, you know, if you want to serve the Lord in some way. And, and here's the problem. I have a lot of people, they come up to me and they go, Pastor Ray, I really would like to serve the church. Okay, great. And, you know, this is over the years. And they go, yeah. I want to, I'd like to teach instead of you next Sunday. I got something I want to tell everybody. And I'm like, what, start your own church. What are you talking about? They want to start at the top. They want a platform. They want, you know, and I go, look, you know, start small. Start with your family. Start with your own friends. I started with two or three people. <laughs> when I started my first church, literally it was a handful. It was just my friends. And I gave them food so that I could make sure somebody would come listen to my Bible study. That's how it started out. And I, there was one guy that came. He was a friend of mine, and his name was Travis. And every Wednesday night, I taught a Bible study for like 30, 35 minutes. And every Wednesday night, he was a hard worker, labor type of guy. Every Wednesday night, he fell asleep during my message. Do you know how discouraging that is? And, but he did tell me, I get the best naps when you're preaching. But anyway... So finally, my, I started praying. I said, Lord, this is my goal. If I can ever teach a Bible study where Travis doesn't fall asleep, I will think that I have arrived somewhere. <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, there came a Bible study where I said, you know, I couldn't fall asleep tonight. It was so fascinating, so interesting. I said, thank God. <laughs> I remember starting the church, the first church. I started Calvary Chapel of El Cajon in a cafeteria of a high school I had graduated from two years prior setting up 
folding chairs. 25 folding chairs. That's not a church. In a cafeteria, that doesn't count. But God said, do not be ashamed to start small. This church started Maranatha Chapel in a junior high school. We had to bring a trailer with all this stuff for the Sunday school kids. We had to set it up and then we had to take it down because we're renting every week. We called it the years of the wilderness. But we did that faithfully. And then God began to, many of the staff that are here that are pastors that you would know by name were with me at the very beginning of this church back in the 80s. They were loyal and they were faithful and they said, whatever you need, I will do. I'll put up chairs. I'll do Sunday school. I'll pass out flyers or bulletins. I'm, and because they were faithful, I saw character in them and eventually said, you know, God's hand is upon your life. There's more for you to do. Can I hear an amen on that? So do not be afraid to start small. And the most important thing is to be faithful. Now, let's, let's close the story because the emphasis of Stephen's life is one of fullness. So beginning in verse 8. It says, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. I want you to note here that Stephen, he was a deacon, but he was not only full of faith, he was full of power. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he, though he was a deacon, not an apostle, he was serving tables, doing practical things, and yet he did great wonders and signs among the people. This guy lived in the supernatural. Miracles happened around Stephen. He was a man of faith. He was a servant who used as his gifts to serve the Lord and God blessed him mightily. And then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. By the way, that's where the apostle Paul was from. And there are some who believe that it, Paul was in this crowd that picked now on Stephen, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. He speaks against the temple. He speaks against the law. He speaks against Moses. And they stirred up the people. They were ready to kill him. And so we read that, and they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place, again the temple, and the law or the law of Moses. For, for we have heard him say, this Yeshua of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looked steadfastly upon him and they saw his face as the face of an angel. Wow. He is preaching the gospel, and this is a similar crowd that had executed Jesus Christ, that had threatened 
to come after Peter and John. Now there's a new guy, a new face, a new voice, a young man, faithful, anointed, supernatural, signs and wonders. And the reason they picked on him is because the thousands who were there in the temple were listening to this young man. They, they were drawn to him. They were following him. He had influence over them. And I want you to know the emphasis of Stephen's life is one of fullness. God wants you to be full of the Holy Spirit. He wants you and I to be full of wisdom. He was also full of faith and full of power. The Holy Spirit didn't just dwell in him, but flowed through his life, through prayers, through the laying on of hands, with signs, with wonders, with salvations, with discipleship. Man, this guy was awesome, Stephen was. And do you know that, what does it mean to be full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom? In scripture, when you read to be full of, it means to be controlled by. Isn't that what we want to be? I want to be under the full control of the Holy Spirit. I want to be under the control of the divine, supernatural wisdom and downloads of God. I want to be full of faith, under the control of walking in trust in the Lord in all ways. This man was controlled by the Spirit, by faith, by wisdom and power, and he led many to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the result? That a blessing and anointing of God was now continuing, and it says the church kept growing. The numbers continued to multiply greatly in Jerusalem, and because Stephen was one of them, many Jewish priests Acts chapter 6 tell us, became believers that Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah of Israel and their personal Lord and Savior. Now it's interesting, Stephen didn't defend himself. He didn't speak on his own behalf. He just spoke powerfully, prophetically, and he preached and he pointed to Jesus. And while he was preaching, and they're secretly going and saying, he's against the law, he's against Moses, his face starts shining like an angel. And they saw it. I, they saw the supernatural. They saw the glory of God shining on the face of Stephen like an angel. Now, let me ask you a question. What famous person, maybe the most famous person of all the Jewish people in the entire Old Testament also had a shining face? Moses did. So they're over here plotting, saying, he's against Moses. Stephen is there looking just like Moses. <laughs> with the glory, the Shekinah, glowing off of his face. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.